Welcome! I'm Roxanne Spring, your personal midwife after hours, celebrating and promoting wisdom and power in pregnancy, birth, and beyond. Welcome to Midwife After Hours. Today, I have the distinct honor and pleasure of interviewing none other than the great Susie Myers. Beginning in 1971, with her roots deep in political activism, she came to Seattle and became part of Fremont Women's Clinic. From there, she describes the rest of the story of how she comes to participate in developing licensed midwifery in the state of Washington, launching Seattle Midwifery School, and establish midwifery practices. She has her master's in public health from the University of Washington. She retired from active practice in 2009, but very soon afterwards, she led Seattle Midwifery School in an intentional merger with Bastyr University, creating the first regionally accredited direct entry program in the United States to grant a master's degree in midwifery. She was the first department chair until her retirement in 2018. Nationally, she served on the board of directors for the National Association of Certified Professional Midwives from 2002 through 2013. This is part one of the series. So much to discover in the beginning of this journey right here in this episode. Susie Myers, I am so delighted to have you on this program with us today. I thank you for being here. Well, pleasure. <laughs> I know that there's so much for us to cover that an hour is going to feel like not enough. We might even have to have a part two. I don't know. But I really want to begin with, how did you become involved in a journey to midwifery? Hmm. Well, um, the irony is that I, well, I think this is not unusual for people of my age. Um, I'm 71 years old now, and when I was in my formative years in college and even immediately after college, I don't think I knew what a midwife was. It was um, not at all on my radar, um, but the spark came when I was involved in as a activist in a feminist women's health center in Seattle called the Fremont Women's Clinic. Um, I migrated across the country from the East Coast to Seattle um, in 1971 and was looking for, you know, a meaningful uh, work to do, um, having had this activist background and women's health care kind of spoke to me. So I found um, these people who were starting this women's health center and learned very quickly that Seattle was, um, I guess some would call it a hotbed of um, healthcare activism, healthcare reform. Well, we didn't call it reform in those days. <laughs> so there was, there was a um, network of free clinics. And again, we called them free clinics. And the Fremont Women's Clinic was one of several in the Seattle metro area. So I got involved there, and then, um, you know, it was this very fertile, no pun intended, time when um, this idea of women reclaiming their own agency over their health care extended to birth. So that was an aha kind of moment, if you will, figuratively speaking. And... Um, at the same time, um, one of the four main free clinics in Seattle, Country Doctor Clinic, had started a home birth collective of one physician and several, the physician being male, and the several people training to be midwives, all female. That's an um, interesting dynamic in and of itself, but we'll leave that for another time. And one of those 
trainees was also working with us at Fremont. So there was this cross fertilization. And I can't explain what my first um, fascination was with birth, but it was, it was so uh, potent for me. I mean, I, it just came from somewhere not exactly intellectual. It just was this, um, I wanted to, to, to understand more. I wanted to be there. I wanted to experience it. So Jackie, the, the, the person who was training at Country Doctor and also working at Fremont, was my friend. And every time she went to a birth, I would just, you know, ask her to tell me everything about the birth. And then fast forward a few months, or maybe it was a few years, I don't even remember. Um, by 1974, we were um, at Fremont in a position to start a birth group of our own. Um, the, the country doctor group had sort of disintegrated when the physician decided to withdraw and leave town. That left this void, and um, we were a pretty well-organized group of um, smarty pants, you know, uh, feminists, and we did this, and two physicians, again, men, came into our sphere saying that they were interested in helping us um, train and provide home birth services. So we formed a group of interested people within the clinic ranks. We were all already providing gynecological care on a as you know pay as you can or not at all basis. So we had all kind of done some basic training in gynecology and we sat around a room and we self-selected um, I think there were six of us to be part of this new, what called the Fremont Clinic Birth Collective. And the beginning of my career, um, I, you know, I never ever dreamed that I'd be a healthcare Pause. provider. Uh, we just lost a little bit of the video and I was hearing the sign and the talking. I wonder if you have a headset. Oh, I do. Should I put that on? Or earbuds? Uh, yeah, what? something that if you're talking into the headset, then it just to bring it forward. You were talking about you're in impressed with some of the leaders that are coming up now. They have to be, they have to be also seeing that this was the groundwork to what they can take it to now. Yeah, so okay. yeah, yeah, it's got a big purpose. So okay, okay, all right, go for it. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. The very best place to begin is how in the world did you become a midwife? Tell me about this whole journey. Well, um, the journey um, is actually kind of a surprise to myself when I think back on my, my formative years um, in high school and college, even after college. I, I, if you had asked me what is a midwife, I could not have answered that question. Um, I really it wasn't on my radar, it wasn't in my awareness as um, something I was interested in. Um, not even birth was something I was particularly interested in. But coming to Seattle as I did in 1971, I just right fresh out of college, I, I was an activist in search of a, of a place to land. And women's health care was this very hot, um, exciting place to be in Seattle. There were four free clinics, one of which, two of which were, um, had uh, strong women's healthcare focuses. Um, and actually one of the, one of the four, the Fremont Women's Clinic was in its, in its infancy when I um, came to Seattle and uh, joined up with those people who were starting this fourth free clinic in Seattle. So um, the opportunity to learn um, practitioner skills was kind of unique and surprising. I, I was not in pursuit of a practitioner kind of career at all. I was really all about uh, changing the world um, mm -hmm. <laughs> in, in, a, in a big way, you know. So, um, but I became quite interested in, in actually doing healthcare. So for a number of years at the Fremont Women's Clinic, I was 
learning how to do basic gynecological exams and counseling for women. And we even had a, an abortion clinic at a certain point with a volunteer obstetrician gynecologist. Um, so mind you, this was right after Roe v. Wade, but I'll just mm -hmm. insert here if anybody's interested that Washington had predated the federal change in law. So there was legal access to abortion um, in Washington state, but that's a, a different story. Anyway, um, it wasn't until um, the country doctor clinic had organized a, a group of um, similarly impassioned uh, gynecological paramedics, as we were called, who wanted to attend birth um, that that idea sort of landed in my consciousness. And they had a physician who was interested in helping them train and attend home births. And they did so for a couple of years. And one of the people in that group was also in our group. And she was my friend. And after every birth she went to, I was just, couldn't get enough of her. I just would just drill her, tell me everything about those births. Every, from beginning to end. And, um, and then they kind of dissolved because the physician left town, leaving a, a void. And um, we decided after two young uh, family practice doctors who were also men showed up at the Fremont Women's Clinic offering to help us um, learn and attend home births. So, in a, the very egalitarian nature of our, of our clinic, we um, invited anybody who was interested to come to a meeting, and it was Valentine's Day, 1974, I believe, um, and we self-selected a group of six people to train with this group. One of um, the trainees had already had a home birth with the country doctor group, and she had shown us the, the slideshow of her home birth, and I was absolutely enchanted and moved. And it was just this incredibly um, important kind of um, understanding that this was a powerful experience and I wanted to be part of it. It just so happened that I was pregnant at the time. <laughs> so my career began as I was gestating my first baby. So I became the model on which everyone got to palpate, learn, you know, external palpation and a number of other skills. <laughs> and um, the birth collective uh, were, you know, my, my birth attendants um, at the time mm -hmm. of my, my first child's birth in um, the spring of 1975. So um, anyway, it was a really, really, um, amazing time and um, I continue to be a, a clinician at the same time that the you know you, you couldn't really be just a midwife I mean midwifery wasn't a job it was a not just a calling either because you really had to be up for um, a political kind of lifestyle where we had to you know carve a pathway for uh, recognition, for legality, for safe care, for respect. I mean, it was, you know, reimbursement. It goes on and on and on. None of that was in place at the time. That is why you are one of the true pioneer for mothers. And I'm so excited to have you here today is because that laying that groundwork and having that political activist as part of who you are was essential because it was definitely against the tide. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I, I, as I became a, not only an activist, and, but also a teacher, I, I have come to really um, respect the person who wants to be not, I, I don't want to say just a midwife, who wants to practice midwifery with all her, her or his heart and soul and self and intellect and not be an activist. That's okay. 
There are, you know, there are so many ways to practice midwifery. And at the other extreme is people who don't really want to do clinical work and want to be policymakers and researchers and activists. We need, we need it. We need it all, right? We need the whole spectrum. Um, yeah, and we, no. and oh, sorry. I think we've, we've, we, I think we've built a profession now, you know, 40, 45, 46, my, my oldest child is turning 46 this month. So, you know, in that period of time, I think we've made remarkable progress in building um, the infrastructure for our profession um, in the United States. Now, mind you, this is a uniquely U.S. story with a whole history that we were so ignorant of. You know, we had no idea of what our foremothers had done you know, and how they had been, um, you know, disenfranchised and, and, and squashed, how, how both uh, immigrant midwives and black midwives who were providing the bulk of care, mostly for poor communities, were, were you know, really suppressed by the emergence of um, the medical profession. So that's a whole other story, but it took me a long time to even study and respect and understand that history. We didn't have a clue of that when we began what we were, our little project here in Seattle, Washington. Was it, were you mindful of the Ina Mae Gaskin movement as well? It was a similar no, time, I'm just curious. We were, and I'll just tell you a sort of, I say this very tongue in cheek and with a certain affection for Ina Mae, I, because, you know, I, we've, we've become colleagues. I mean, it's been a long time since I've seen her, but I have, you know, of course I have respect for Ina Mae. But her book, Spiritual Midwifery, was, um, you know, a key element of what influenced my generation of midwives. But in our little, in our little world and the lens through which we were looking at this, we jokingly said, Ina May is the spiritual midwife, and we are the political midwives. We made that distinction that we had, we did not come from that um, kind of counterculture, um, hippie, if you will, kind of um, perspective. We were all about um, overthrowing the patriarchy, you know? <laughs> I mean, we, we were very full of ourselves, I will say. We really were. Um, and I, I, I say that because um, we had a lot to learn. <laughs> <laughs> well, however, you had a lot to learn, but you had a lot of gumption to get out there and, and do things that there weren't being done, that wasn't out there. So that yeah, yeah. Uh, that's pretty yeah. wonderful to know that here in the Northwest, that's much more of a fit than, mm -hmm. than the other here in, in our area that you can yeah. see that that was what this area would call for. Well, and you know, I, again, we were standing on the shoulders of healthcare activists who were, you know, they, they were using the slogan, healthcare is a right, not a privilege, mm. long before Bernie Sanders was, you know, talking about it. So I, I just want to say that there was very um, exciting work going on um, across the spectrum of healthcare and uh, and other areas of activism. And it, Seattle was a pretty amazing place in the seventies. Yeah. Um, it, so, it, it still is. It still is, and it still is. <laughs> so just one more thing that's very important about our particular history, because I think. If you talk to a midwife in New Mexico or Arizona or California or, you know, anywhere else, they have their own unique local story about the influences in their particular place. In our particular place, unbeknownst to us, excuse me, to us, we had a law on the books and it was a very unique law that basically allowed for the licensure of midwives who were not nurses. Um, 
and we didn't even know about that law when we began. We were, you know, just practicing outside the law. No big deal. Um, and it wasn't until, you know, we, we met Kirsten Biergaard, who was a, a Danish-trained midwife who had emigrated from Scandinavia. I, I believe, well, anyway, I, I'm trying to come up with the year now. I think it was about 1973. And she discovered um, that there was this law and that the legislature was about to repeal it because it had been in disuse for decades. The last license was issued in the 30s. This is a whole nother ex extraordinary history that's so rich. The license holders in the 30s were Japanese midwives, professionally trained in Japan, who came here and um, were serving their communities. And we can only you know, guess that the lawmakers thought, let them take care of their own communities. Let's just keep them over here um, and created this licensing law, which very much was tailored to their education. But it remained on the books and nobody was licensed under it until Kirsten came along in the 70s and said, excuse me, but I actually meet the qualifications in this law. I want a license. And the legislature had to give her an exam. They had to hire an obstetrician to write an exam specifically for this applicant. And she passed the exam and became Washington State licensed midwife number one under this newly revised. So then we come along, we upstarts come along and go, oh, at the same time, about the same time, something very important happened, which is that we're still sort of blithely practicing illegally because there's a law that says this is what you have to do to practice legally and we are not it. <laughs> and because the law said it was a very short statute, but it did say you have to graduate from an incorporated school of midwifery in good standing, um, foreign or domestic. So Kirsten had the foreign, we had no domestic. There had never been a domestic program ever. So one day we get a letter at the Fremont Women's, Women's Clinic from the Department of Licensing of the state of Washington saying, we understand you're practicing midwifery without a license. Please come to Olympia to discuss this matter. And we thought we were going to be busted. We fully expected to be, you know, taken out in handcuffs. <laughs> so um, the birth collective um, elected three of us to go and meet with the director of the Department of Licensing, myself, March Mansfield, and Steve Lloyd, who was one of the male physicians who was at, still helping us at that point. And we go to Olympia and we are escorted into the office of the director of the Department of Licensing. This was before the Department of Health managed health professions licensing. At this time, all licenses, be it driver's licenses, fishing licenses, dental licenses, midwife licenses, were under the Department of Licensing. And we encounter a very, a lovely woman um, named Dr. Roz Woodhouse, who was the first African-American woman to ever hold a cabinet post in Washington State. And she greeted us and invited us to sit down and said, we have a problem. We have this law. You're practicing outside that law. I want to help you solve this problem. Have you ever thought of starting a school? That's... No, we hadn't. <laughs> and that was, the, that was the origin story, the genesis of the Seattle Midwifery School. It was Dr. Roz Woodhouse who planted that seed, and not only planted the seed, but said, how can I help you, rather than how can I stop you? We later learned, I think she told us this, that her sister was a certified nurse midwife. So she was very well informed about not just the profession of midwifery, but the value of midwifery. And so she became a very, she was our guardian angel. 
really. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, we honored her at the first Midwives Association of Washington State annual meeting, um, which came a little later um, with our first annual award. Because she was, I mean, she was really um, the right person at the right time, right? You know, it could have, the whole thing could have gone differently. Oh, definitely. Were it not, <laughs> not for her. Yeah. Oh, that yeah. is, that is magnificent. It's that kind of cooperation that would, trans, that would help us all transcend yeah. the yeah. difficulties yeah. that we're having. Oh. Right, right. And so we did, I mean, I think for, for decades onward, we did enjoy um, mostly a cooperative relationship with the powers that be, you know, certainly with the state of Washington. Um, so in that way, we were quite fortunate. And we had this law to build on. Of course, the, the legislature felt like the law needed uh, revision as, as we gained more traction as a profession. And they were right. The law was pretty uh, antiquated. Um, so it has been uh, renovated, if you will, <laughs> since then. So what year did the school begin then? And you So the school began in 1978. Um, this um, critical meeting was probably in early 1977. So one of the, so one of the, um, the features of this uh, very brief statute said that this, an incorporated school of midwifery had to have at least two calendar years of instruction at each calendar year being nine months each. So we did the math and said, okay, two calendar years, nine months each, that's a total of 18 months. And we, we set about just developing a curriculum. And we consulted lots and lots of people, mostly our nurse midwifery colleagues, um, who this is another interesting um, difference, I think, in Washington's midwifery history. Nurse midwifery was not well established in Washington mm -hmm. at all. I mean, Kathy Carr was the first nurse midwife to come and organize a midwifery service at Group Health Cooperative at about this time, at about 1976, 77. So it was, it was pretty, we were, we were um, if you will, nurse midwifery and licensed midwifery were emerging and developing and maturing kind of in parallel paths. So it wasn't like there was supremacy or, you know, one was more dominant and powerful than the other. So we had every reason to collaborate and cooperate and help each other. And so there was a lot of cross-fertilization, which I think some of my young colleagues, that is not what they have experienced. Mm -hmm. And it's not, it's just, it, unfortunately, they haven't benefited from that the way, mm -hmm. you know, uh, my era did. Um, so um, I'm all about building alliances where alliances can be built. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So you began as a midwife when we left off. You had your baby. Yes. You were the first you were the first birth for the whole collective. I was. Yep, so, yep. And then what was the moment in time that you became licensed? Midwife? Oh, so then so we we, we nominally founded the school in 1978 at a particular moment. I mean, we incorporated it legally so that it would fulfill this nine months in each of two calendar years, not knowing whether the state, what was going to be the mechanism for approving this state, this uh, school. It wasn't, there was no mechanism, essentially. So really, so we, we actually... Um, developed, I think, a pretty sound curriculum. We recruited volunteer faculty, all of them qualified in their field, most of them with MD, PhD, CNM, MSM after their names. Mm -hmm. All of them gave, gave mm -hmm. their labor. It was a labor of love and taught us. And we, the founders, became the first class. We, we were the pilot. We put ourselves through the curriculum. We, we were the students in the first class. There were six of us. And is... at the conclusion, we sent everything to 
the Department of Licensing, and they gave us the the ticket to the licensing exam. Now at this point, so at at that point, there had only been a few, I think three or four um, internationally trained midwives who had become licensed, who had met the requirements by virtue of their formal education outside the United States. So we were the first domestically trained people to um, apply. And this exam was, I mean, now that I know quite a bit more about um, the psychometrics of exam development, it was a travesty. It was developed by a retired obstetrician, and it was an eight-hour essay exam, beginning with the question, this is seriously a question on the exam, discuss diabetes in pregnancy. And we were given these, uh, these composition books, you know, and we just wrote all day long, all day long, eight hours we wrote in these composition books, these totally open-ended um, essay questions that, and we later found out there wasn't really a key for him to evaluate objectively the quality of the answers. Anyway, we can laugh about it now. That was, it, but that was how we got licensed. I mean, we pa- you all passed it. You all passed, passed it. it. We passed it. An eight-hour essay exam was it yeah. evaluated by the yeah. the obstetrician yeah. that developed there, it? There was yes. There was one person who didn't pass it, and um, she was the only one among us who had not been to college. But she was also one of the smartest people in our group, and. Um, he just didn't like her handwriting or he didn't like the way she phrased things. I don't know. But we, we fought it. We fought it and we contested it. And we said she absolutely knows this material. And we demanded sort of a retake. And he, he did conducted an oral exam for her and, and concluded that indeed she did know everything she needed to know. So, yes, we all passed it. And, um, yeah, I'm licensed mid. I was. I licensed midwife number eleven in the state of Washington. That is That's a pretty amazing. low number. <laughs> <laughs> amazing, amazing, and wonderful. Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. yeah. But so, then the real, the real heroines, if you will, were the next group of people who were, we put out a catalog and we put out the word that we were accepting another class of students. I mean, uh, this unproven school. We sort of made up a number of you know, tuition to charge. I don't remember what it was, but it wasn't very much. Those were the real brave souls who actually trusted us to attend this nascent school. <laughs> but yes, the uh, so the first, the school was founded in 1978. And by then I was, of course, pregnant with my second baby. So I've called my second child the twin of the Seattle Midwifery School because they were <laughs> gestating and birthed the same year. And then in addition to being part of the school, mm-hmm. you also were practicing. Tell me about mm-hmm. your setting and your practice and how that. Um, initially, we designed the clinical arm uh, of the school was sort of our practice. It didn't take us long to realize that was not a sustainable, good model. It, it didn't serve the students and it, and we didn't have the capacity to actually you know grow um, the training sites that we needed. So we did make us pretty early in the in the development of the Seattle Midwifery School. We made a distinct separation and um, I, you know and, and then various people came and went. I mean, of the founders of the Seattle Midwifery School, only two of us remained um, after several years. People went off and did different things. Um, we also, of course, grew the school's, you know, infrastructure. So we had a board of directors and one of the members of the board of directors, uh, was not a midwife, Joanne Meyer Seco, mm-hmm. and she was there to keep us honest and to keep us. So the founders were the board and Joanne was the non midwife among us. Um, later we, uh, grew to become, uh, a little bit more sophisticated, expanded our board, had really created a nonprofit board model, and hired some staff. And 
Joanne went on to become the chair of the board and then our first executive director, but that's decades, decades later. My own clinical practice was Marge Mansfield and I um, were partners. Uh, initially, there were three of us. Um, Susan Anemone was one of our co-founders, but then she also kind of migrated away. And um, we had a home birth practice, and then later we, uh, we developed a birth center in the cl little clinic building that we owned, we bought in uh, Columbia City. And um, we also were uh, influential, if not central, to um, lobbying for birth center licensure because that was another um, access point um, for particularly for people on Medicaid to be able to have an out-of-hospital birth. At that time, there was no Medicaid reimbursement for home birth, only in a licensed facility. So we quickly saw the benefit of birth center licensure as a way to give folks on Medicaid the, the freedom of choice that people who were self-pay or people who had private insurance could choose their place of birth. So, yeah. So when did that, uh, when did you first, when were you first able to accomplish that? The, um, I believe, I'm not absolutely sure of this, but I believe the birth center licensing law was um, enacted in 1983. It was pretty early, 83, 84. Um, it was pretty early and it was definitely aided by our nurse midwifery colleagues. Mm. Um, again, I, I wanna say that this was a very important collaborative effort, as was, by the way, the at the same time, we were forming a professional association in Washington. The Midwives Association of Washington State was initially a collaborative organization of nurse midwives and licensed midwives. I think where we made some mistakes was that there were a lot of people who were unlicensed who were practicing, mostly in, not in Seattle, but in more rural areas and across the state. And we really were not very sensitive to what they wanted and needed. And I think we had a hard time kind of bringing everybody under one tent. Um, so that was, you know, we made, we made plenty of mistakes. It wasn't all success after success after success. There were lots of hiccups. Well, this is absolutely fascinating. And I'm so thankful that we're getting this story out. I'm so thankful that for those that have not been as involved with the community to have an option to peer into this process and how it has gone over time. And it is completely obvious to me, if it's acceptable to you, that we are going to have to come back because we just barely got to that part. We haven't even heard anything of the journey beyond this. So is that something that I can... It, implore you to share with us again <laughs> no. on a, another episode. I, I, um, I'm retired, Roxanne. I have um, the luxury of time, and I, as I uh, have told many people, I'm, um, I'm very happily in this place of uh, my my cronehood. So I feel like telling the story is sort of uh, not just. Um, an obligation, but it's, but it's enjoyable. It's fun. It's, um, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's my duty also. <laughs> yeah. And it's so it's, it's really is important. It's important for us to have the context of where we started and then to talk a little bit about how that journey has gone on and where we're at. And then we can explore where do we actually want to be? You know, what mm -hmm. is there mm -hmm. for us to do? And it's having these things laid out that gives us an opportunity to reflect on what are mm -hmm. we creating and how do we create it? Mm -hmm. So right. it just, this is particularly energizing and wonderful. And I love it so much. Just <laughs> in light of what we've talked about now, are there any any other things that you would like to say before we have this episode be complete and 
look forward. Will it be possible to do it for the following episode? Would that work? Sure, okay. sure. Whatever I am at your disposal. Whatever you. Oh my good. Uh, you know, you're you're the producer, so. <laughs> uh, I'm so excited. So, is there anything else, kind of wrapping this portion up, or anything about this that you would like to bring out as kind of the theme or the message or setting the stage for the next thing that we're going to go to? Well, I you know I feel like when I. When I reflect back and I answer your particular questions, it's very much um, the big picture stuff. Um, at the same time, as you kind of tried to get me to answer the question I didn't really answer about my own experience as a practicing midwife, it was the day to day, week to week, night, you know, night, night after night kind of experience of being with families during one of the most important moments, hours, days of their lives. Um, and so I just feel like that is really um, in, it's so deeply embedded in my, in my memory bank. You know, I have, I, I probably attended, I don't know, somewhere between I'm just going to guess about 1,500 births and maybe maybe a little more, maybe a little less, which isn't an extraordinary number when you think about it, um, given that I was practicing for over 30 years, actively practicing. Um, but I just have so many rich stories. I have heartbreaking stories as well as heartwarming stories. And there isn't a midwife I've met who doesn't similarly have all of those stories in their heart and in their brain forever. You know, it's really quite um, a privilege to have had that experience. I think, you know, there are very few people who, for whom their work is that level of um, being on the precipice between one world and the next, you know, the, the door between, life and and whatever <laughs> mm -hmm. so you know what i mean because you're a midwife um but it is quite um quite an experience that not many of us get to have it is it is just an incredible incredible experience it's one that's so rich in all those ways it's just like birth you know you have you're kind of the greatest work of your life to have the greatest joy of your life and being a midwife is the hardest work but it brings forth the most amazing gifts and it isn't always a bright shiny sunshine effect and talked about the precipice you know that we're walking on it we want to see that it's all this happiness and joy but it's also life and it's also yeah. death and right. it has all of that in it and it was part of what we signed up for even though we didn't think that that would have happened to us necessarily or however you want to put it Indeed. But, oh but yes um, those are the the memories that just make my life complete how can i say you know i had my own six children first and then i and then became a midwife and then had so many families that i got to serve and it is part of what makes my life complete except mm -hmm. for you and i have this same desire to bring this forth because there's more to be accomplished absolutely and we are in this endeavor together and i thank you so much i've enjoyed our time so greatly and i'm excited to be getting to come to part two and then we'll have to see if we're just creating a mini series here because because <laughs> just generalities people also want those stories i mean we those particular stories can reach out and touch someone's heart especially some of the painful as well as some of the joyful Indeed. so bless you have a fantastic week look forward to reconnecting and we will do this next episode and thank you so much susie Mize. oh you're very welcome it's been fun thanks roxanne you're welcome you've been listening to midwife after hours i am your host roxanne spring you have just heard part one of the series with susie myers 
sharing the, about the movement of the 70s, initiating licensed midwifery in Washington State. Next episode, we will explore more of her experiences as a midwife and as active in politics. And now I'm going to pull back the curtain and invite you backstage to our discussion guiding future episodes. I invite you all to cast your votes for content you're interested in. Midwife After Hours at valley1049.org. The hope of this is to make this more, uh, more aware and available and accessible and talked about and the whole area of midwifery, the whole area of supporting midwives, the whole area of growing midwives and growing consciousness. Is there, who, who would you suggest in terms of directions mm. to go? And you can think on that if you want and let me know, but I'm, I, I've done, I have um, interviewed one mom and then uh -huh. I've done uh, a birth center interview. That's what mm -hmm. I did this last Sunday. And I've interviewed one local midwife. So it's going to be, I want midwives across the board in all settings, but and are you focusing on Washington specific or? I am, except for I want the international piece in there about looking at what does midwifery look like in one of these countries where they're the first line providers. Mm -hmm. And what does, so I'd love it in that context. Mm -hmm. And I'd love it in the context of, of midwife in America too. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm really quite open. I, I mean, there's, there's so, I, you know, I could suggest so many people who have a really big view of all of this. I was thinking about also um, talking to um, midwives of color who are in really Definitely. emerging leadership at this moment. Um, so maybe I'll send you a list of people. That, that would be awesome. Yeah. And that then would you be awesome because that I really do want all of that. I yeah. want it all. Yeah. And I left yeah. it so general, you know, yeah. birth and beyond. I mean, you know, yeah. we can talk about anything and that's the way I like it. Yeah. That's the right. way I like it. But I do like it with the attitude of, of making something happen, you mm -hmm. know, of, of adding, of adding value to the journey and to the recognition and just really mm -hmm. wanting the platform to expand, 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 expand. I hope that you've enjoyed this episode. We will finish this out by hearing two songs, Helen Reddy with I Am Woman and Joan Baez with We Shall Overcome. I'll catch you in the air next Sunday at 11 a.m. Make sure you submit your comments to midwifeafterhours at valley1049.org.
this thing we shall overcome. We shall. 